0: Yeah. Well, good evening. How's everybody tonight? Good. Good to see you. Glad you could be here. Glad you could join us on live stream or or um, uh, podcast. And uh, pretty soon you might be able to join us on Facebook also. So praise God. Amen. Amen. We gather around the Word. And uh, where there's two or three gathered together in his name, he's in our midst. Walking among us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bless the Lord since he's here. We bless you, Lord. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. For you alone, O Lord, are worthy of all honor. You are the worthy one, the living one. You are the God of salvation and redemption. You're the one that set us free. You're the one that's delivered us. You, you have provided all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus, through your finished work, you have redeemed us and set us free from sin and from sickness and from, from, from diseases. I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes that we are healed. I thank you, Lord, that by the life that you gave, that you've delivered us out of sin, unbound us and disconnected us from the works of the devil. Lord, I just thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for all that you are for, for us. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Oh, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we just thank you so much for all that you are, all that you do. Thank you for your great love towards us. And, Father, we come with an expectation and excitement to sit at your feet and to hear your word being taught to us by your Holy Spirit, that there'd be impartations of revelation, Father, that we open our hearts to receive from you, to hear from heaven, And Father, I thank you that the things that we hear, Father, that we'll put them into our life. Thank you, Lord, that we'll continue to change and be conformed to the image of Jesus and developing in your divine life and your divine nature. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's open up to Proverbs 24, uh, verses 3 and 4. And we were over here last week, and we're going to continue on from here. Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And we looked at this last week, and we talked about wisdom. And we said wisdom is the data. You know, like hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is the data. Isn't that right? The wisdom is the blueprint or the plan for building the house. You know, the Word of God lays out plans and it lays out blueprints for our life. But understanding is what establishes the plans. And since the plans are established, understanding will prepare everything that's necessary. All right. So if the blueprint is calling for plumbing, understanding realizes I need to get plumbing material before I can do anything. If it calls for roofing, I need to have roofing material before I can do anything. So understanding the data and the blueprint establishes the plan and then prepares everything that's necessary. And then knowledge works out the plan. Knowledge takes all of those things and works it and puts it into an application and uses all the necessary items that that was received through perceived understanding. Okay? And carries out the wisdom, carries out the data, and fulfills it to the final manifestation. But not just to build the house, but also to fill all of the rooms with pleasant and precious riches. Amen. Hallelujah. So everything starts with, as we found out last week, and everything works off of and comes to completion because of foundations. And the foundation, the the wisdom of God, there's wisdom, understanding, and and, uh, knowledge. That is the foundation of everything. You know, the, uh, the Word of God says that by wisdom, God founded the earth. By understanding, He established it. And by knowledge... He broke up the deeps. And that's what it was all about. The data, the understanding, and then the knowledge. And we found out that wisdom, being the data, is the Word of God. Understanding is the revelation of the Word of God. And knowledge is an application. And you can't go from data to application without understanding or you're in dead works. Because understanding is revelation. And without that revelation, you're in dead works. And this is why people get wore out, run down, and beat up trying to do the Word of God. This is so hard. It's only hard because you have no understanding. And you're trying to work data. Amen. We found out that there's foundations in the kingdom of God. There's foundations in marriage. There's foundations in finances. There's foundations in health. There's even foundations in our nation which was founded on godly principles. And foundations are very important, and the Word of God says, do not move the foundations. Isn't that right? It doesn't matter what they're doing out there. It doesn't matter what society says. They're a bunch of boneheads anyway. They don't know what they're talking about, and they don't know what's going to work because they've never done it before, and they come up with all this stuff that moves off of the foundations that have been solid, been strong, and been proven over the test of time. Amen. You know, I don't. I don't know how school is today, but I remember when I went to school, back when we had a carve out on with a stone. You know what we were writing. You know. (laughs) But when I went to school, memorization was a big thing. You know, you had to memorize, and the biggest thing we had to work on was the me anyway was the times tables. Oh, my goodness, the times tables, you know. And my mother, you know, she'd make me go study the times table, but it wasn't enough to study. Now you have to come out and you have to tell them, you know, and not in order. You know, she'll say, well, what's, uh, what's four times six? Well, what's four times two? Well, what's four times nine? She wouldn't keep it in order to where you can memorize it in order. No, 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 no. You had to know each one individually. And it was all about memorization. Well, what is memorization? It's meditation. Memorization is meditation. Of course, you have to over and over and over and over again until it just comes naturally. So I came to understand, one of the first things I came to understand was the nine times table because I found out that every answer in the nine times table from nine times one to nine times ten, the answer always added up to nine. And I, you know, and that was like a revelation to me. So if it was nine times five, you subtract one from five, which is four, and four plus what is nine? Five, so nine times five is 45. Nine times two, subtract two, one, uh, subtract one from two is one, one plus what is nine? Eight, so nine times two is 18. And everything in the nine times table from nine times one to nine times 10 added up to nine. Well, that was really helpful. That was a real helpful thing to me. Of course, I didn't get it until I was out of school, but, you know, I finally got it. (laughs) You know, yeah. And I had to memorize, of course, all the other times. And sometimes, you know, like six times six. Well, sometimes it was easier for me to add up six, 12, 18, 24, 30, 36. It was easier to add them and figure out what six times six was rather than memorize. So the adding and the times table, they work together. What? (laughs) You mean they work? You you mean stuff works together like addition, subtraction, multiplication? That all works together? I mean, that was another revelation that I got. What was happening is I was starting to put stuff together. Because why? I was getting an understanding. Now... You can memorize the times tables and you could get to where you can ace every test. But then there's life. Right? So I go to the store and I want to buy six items and it's $6 each. How much is that going to cost you? Uh, I don't know. Let me see what they tell me when I get to the cash register. Well, you should know. What's six times six? 36. So it's $36, right? Until you have to add in the tax. And now you got 7% tax on $36, which is $2.52. So what was $36 is now $38.52. If I give them a 50, how much change am I going to get? So now I've done... I've done multiplication and, and, and all this, and, it did, and now I've got to do some subtraction. i got 50, and it's going to cost me $38.52. What's my change going to be? $11.48. I should know that before that person behind that counter works on their computer to tell you how much stuff's going to cost. It's data, understanding, and knowledge. And that all seems very simple. But I knew somebody that you could tell them, you know, I was reading in the Bible the other day, Psalm 37, 15, boom, they'll tell you exactly what that psalm said. Well, I was reading in the Bible about in Psalm 5, verse 10, boom, they could tell you exactly, I know what that psalm, they could tell you the whole book of psalms. I mean, no matter what verse I mentioned, they knew exactly what it said. It's just one problem. They couldn't relate it to their life. It was a memorization, but they couldn't relate it to their life because they had no understanding, and therefore there was no knowledge. Therefore, there was no benefit. You know, have you ever gone to the store and the cash register, the cashier's computer don't work? And you give them money, and they're like, I I can't figure out the change. Well, why? Because they depend on a computer to tell them. So now they have no theory. They have nothing to to lean back on. Well, the computer's not broken. I don't know how much change. Well, just give me my $50 back, and I'll take the items with me. Well, we can't do that. Well, why not? Your computer's not telling you anything different. Are you with me? And they can't figure it. Well, what about using your credit card all the time? You use your credit card all the time, you lose the ability to figure numbers. Just like how long have you been typing on a computer, and then you go to write. You can't even read your own writing because you've been typing for so long. Maybe I'm not talking to the right group. Okay, for myself, I've been typing for years. Actually, ever since I've been in the military, you know, and I've been on a keyboard for years. Now, when I was in school, you had, to, you had a writing pad that had solid lines and dotted lines, and you would make the, uh, cap letter, the, cap, the, the capital letters up to the top line, and then the small letters go to the dotted line, and they had to touch the line, and it had to be right, and it had to be readable. But then they came out with keyboards. And I go to write my name sometimes. They're like, shh, and I was like, you know. Are you with me? Well, I don't know why I brought that up. But if we've drifted off the foundation of wisdom, which is the Word of God, drifted off the foundation of understanding, which is a revelation of the Word of God, drifted off the foundation of knowledge, which is how to apply that revelation knowledge into your life, then we need to turn back to it. But what I have found is that, especially when it comes to church folks, and I'm talking about pretty wide range of church folks, the drift is not from the data, the Word of God. The drift is from the understanding, not taking the time to meditate and get revelation. Revelation. Therefore, most people want to move from the data into the doing of it. Data to doing without revelation. And therefore, I depend on my own mind to tell me how to do this. And if I've drifted off of the understanding, because when you get revelation, where does that come alive in you? In your spirit. Isn't that right? So therefore, if... That's not alive in my spirit, then I'm not really applying the word. I'm just doing it in the flesh. And I am not doing it. My flesh is doing it. And therefore, there's no benefit from the data. And this is why people get disappointed, discouraged, and really upset. Well, that word, that's, that stuff just don't work. No, son, you ain't working it. By wisdom, he founded the earth. I think wisdom is good. By understanding, it became established. And by knowledge, he broke up the deeps. So if God depends on wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, I think we should. So where did God's wisdom come from? No, it didn't come from the Word. Where did wisdom come from with God? Huh? From himself. He is wisdom. Jesus Christ has been made wisdom to you. He is wisdom. So to get a hold of wisdom is to get a hold of God. So then where does the understanding come from? It comes from God. Come on, come on, guys. You, can, you know, This is like first grade questions here. Are you afraid to answer? The revelation that comes from meditation comes from him. Okay? So then where does the application come from? Oh, glory. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Because he's the author and finisher. He's the one that authors faith that comes from the wisdom, and he's the one that finishes it by giving the application. So what do we have to do? We have to put God back in the first place or first position of our life. Amen. So, again, it's not enough to just sit in church and hear. Now, you could sit in church or sit and hear the Word of God, and when you hear the Word, all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, I got that. But the next thing is, now what do you do? Because sitting there and getting it doesn't do anything until you do something. Otherwise, see, when you got it, you just actually heard the word. But if I'm a hearer and not a doer, my house is still built on the sand. Even though I have all kinds of revelation, if I'm not doing it, I'm still built on the sand. Are you with me? So, what is the most important part to get the Word of God into our life? Understand. It's understanding. Revelation is important. It's the first step to move it from data into application. Revelation. So, go to Romans 8 29. Too much espresso. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. All right, being conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, when you got born again, spiritually, we became conformed in the new birth. Is that right? Our soul gets conformed as it grows in renewal and restoration. Our body will be conformed when we get a new one. When Jesus returns and we get a new body, then our body will be conformed. Okay, so our soul is what gets worked on now for renewal and restoration so that we can be conformed to Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, conformed in motives, conformed in attitudes, conformed in agendas, Conformed in mission. This is the first step and the main goal in building off of the foundation. Remember, we did weeks about the foundation. Okay, and then building off of that foundation, this is the first step to where I build off of that foundation and start working at being conformed to the image of Jesus. Why? Because as I'm taking hold of data, I realize there's a different way of thinking. I realize there's a different way of talking. I realize there's a different way of acting and things that will be bringing much better results into my life. Isn't that right? So Jesus, we know Christ is not his last name. Christ means the anointed of God. Jesus is the Christ. We are Christians. Christians means what? To be Christ-like, to talk-like to think like, to act like, that his mission is our mission, his vision is our vision, his purpose is our purpose. This is conforming to the image. And the word image means to the resemblance, the representation, and the prototype. That this image that we walk in and this conformity that we change into is actually extracted out from him. This is why the Bible tells you your life is hidden with Christ in God because that gets extracted out from Him. But you will never get that extracted out just by knowing data. If you don't take any time to meditate and you don't take any time to get revelation, data will not do it. Data alone will not change us. All data does is show you there's a possibility. Data, the the building plan, there's a possibility of this building. There's a possibility of having this architectural look. There's a possibility of having this, this type of structure, this amount of square footage. There's a possibility by looking at the plan. That's what the Word of God is. It's to spark your hope that life can be better. But then you have to press into it and take hold of it. By meditating it memorizing certain things in it and letting it take effect into your life. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right? So he says, go, therefore, make disciples. Other times, like in the book of Mark, he said, go out and preach the gospel, right? So this is just before Jesus ascends into heaven, and this is the last instructions he's giving to his disciples. So let me ask you this. At this particular point where there are only 12 disciples there What he was talking to, Okay, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says he appeared to over 500 people. How many made it to the upper room? 120. How many do you think was here? Do you think that after Jesus appeared to them? How did those 120 wind up in the upper room unless they got the instructions? Go over to Acts chapter 1. Verses, uh, I think it's 1 through 4. So he's appeared to over 500 people. And it says, the first, the first account I composed, Theopolis, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. For these he also predestined, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. He commanded them not to leave to Jerusalem. So where did they go in Jerusalem? They went to the upper room. How many went to the upper room? So, how many heard the instructions? 120 people heard the instructions. So, they all went to the upper room. Isn't that right? Okay, so if they all went to the upper room, then this commission that he's giving is not only for the 12 apostles, it is not only for fivefold ministry gifts, it's for everybody. Isn't that right? So as Jesus went out on the earth, having been sent by the Father, he now commissions us to go in his name. And Jesus is giving us our mission. We are to know what is our particular part in that mission. What is your place and part in that mission? It's two-sided. Preach make disciples. Which side are you on? Which one are you to be involved in? Where has God set you? What is your part in the mission? See, this is part of conforming to the image of Jesus. Jesus went out as the Father sent him. Well, now he has sent us. So what part is our part and what is our category? Well, you'll never know if you only stick with the data. When was the last time you actually meditated on something like that? What do we usually meditate on? I need money. I need health. I need, I need, I need, I got to have. That's what we usually meditate on. That's what we want. That's not what he sent you for. And the reason why you have so much problem in those areas, because you're not doing that. And we'll show it to you. You should have stayed home. Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So let's read it according to what Jesus told us, because everything in the old points to the new, and they work together. So the book of the Lord, the word of God, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, which means any season, so that you may be careful to do. Do what? Do the data that comes through Revelation as a product of meditation, that you'd be careful to do what's written in it, for then you will make your way, you will make your mission, you will make your vision, and you will make your purpose prosperous. And then your vision, your your vision, your mission, and your purpose will have success as you walk in it. The Lord has given to us, just like Jesus, in the mission given to him by the Father. So why do we meditate on the Word of God? Well, the reason we meditate is to change our thinking. Change our talking. Change our actions. Change our outlook. Change how we perceive things. So when you see things in your life, do you perceive problems as a hindrance to you? Or do you see problems as a hindrance to your mission? Do you see problems as a hindrance to your vision? Do you see problems as a hindrance to your purpose? Are you going along and being distracted by the things you want? Oh, yeah, yeah, I want that, I want that. Are you being distracted by the things that you want? Or are you being distracted out from your vision, from your mission, and from your purpose? Do you know why so many people get distracted by the things they want more than anything? Because they have no mission, they have no vision, and they have no purpose. So therefore, it's what they want that distracts them in life, and that's what they want to meditate on in the Word. Uh, This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I'm believing God for. Because they have no mission, they have no vision, and they have no purpose. But yet, it's the very thing Jesus said before he left. And it's the thing we ought to be meditating on and get understanding of vision, mission, and purpose in my life. Now I'm not talking about some mission, vision, or purpose that's like somewhere down the road. I'm, pr- I'm hoping to get there. You're right here. What about here? Right where you're at? Mission, vision, and purpose. Amen. Mark chapter 6. Verses 33 through 44. You know the account, but I'm going to read it anyway. Mark 6, 33 through 44. The people saw them going, Jesus and his disciples, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus said to them, You give them something to eat. (laughs) Wait wait a minute. What? what, what? I, I can hear it. I can hear it. You give them something. What do you mean me give them something to eat? And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii in bread and give them something to eat? Now, they had the money, obviously. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish, which is actually five saltine crackers and two anchovies. That's what they were. These are not big bass, big mouth bass, uh, you know, fish. This is not a whale. This is a boy's lunch. Saltine crackers and anchovies. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces and also of the fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. Okay, back in those days, they only counted the men. But there was men, there was women, there was children, and there were servants. So they estimate there was about 35,000 people there that ate from the five saltine crackers and two anchovies. Now, that would drop my jaw. That wouldn't just be like a, oh yeah, of course. You know, if there's no reaction to that, you're taking stuff for granted. And that could be why there's lack of understanding. This is a powerful miracle. To me, this miracle is only second to the raising of Lazarus after he was dead for four days. They were filled. They were satisfied. They had all that they wanted, and there was food left over. You know why? Because God is extravagant, but he is not wasteful. Do not waste the broken pieces. And we don't want that. That's all broken. That's how people are, and that's why you don't get no more. Wasteful. God's not wasteful. He's extravagant. Whatever it takes, do it. Spend it, whatever it takes, but don't be wasteful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verses 45 through 41. 45 through 40 I'm sorry, 45 through 51. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountains to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. They were astonished. It means they were amazed. They were besides themselves that what they saw actually knocked them out of their wits. They were utterly, extremely, and exceedingly astonished and amazed over this. Well, why? Why would they be so astonished? Why should they be so amazed? Why were they totally beyond themselves about this? Well, verse 52 tells you. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Wow. Why are people so amazed when God does stuff? Because they have no insight. Look at it in the Amplified Bible, verse 52. It says, for they failed to consider or to understand the teaching and the meaning of the miracle of the loaves. In fact, their heart had grown callous and had become dull and had lost the power of understanding. They gave absolutely no consideration to the fact that 35,000 people ate off of five saltine crackers and two anchovies. They gave no consideration to it. They didn't even think about it. But notice what it says here. They failed to consider or understand the teaching and the meaning of the miracle. The teaching. Was Jesus teaching in the miracle? Was he teaching them? Was he saying, now, boys, now, look, boys, this is what you do. I mean, you got you to pick up the stuff that God's put in your hand, and you got to lift it up to the Lord, and you got to thank him. And he taught him how to... No. No. He taught him nothing. Nothing came out of his mouth, did it? See, the feeding of the 35,000 people was not meant only to give to the people, but the feeding of the people was a teaching. And because of their lack of insight and consideration, no thinking about it, no pondering it, no meditating on it, they had no insight. There was a teaching and a meaning in the miracle of the feeding. Miracles are not only to do something, but miracles are to teach something. Why did they not learn? Why didn't they learn? I mean, they're walking with Jesus every day. Why didn't they learn anything? It said they considered not the miracle of the loaves. They did not gain insight. And and that means the insight in the Greek, it means to set things or to bring things together. To set it or join it together in our mind, which thus means to understand, put it together, put the pieces together. The literal Greek means they did not join things together they did not join thoughts together on the basis of the loaves. When considering the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, they did not reason upon the basis of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They should have reasoned it. That if our Lord had the supernatural power to feed 5,000 people by multiplying five saltine crackers and two anchovies, he could certainly exert that supernatural power to quiet down the wind, still the sea, and walk on the surface of the water. But they never put it together. See, that's what understanding is, is when stuff gets put together. Like when you start to understand the... Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division works together. They did not consider it. They didn't reflect on it. They didn't meditate on it. Therefore, it resulted in what? A hard, calloused heart. When you stop meditating and you stop getting revelation and you stop pressing into the things of god your heart will become hard and that's why hearing the word is digging 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 breaking up the hard ground digging it over and over again to get back into there what you already knew years ago of course your heart got hard that's good they had no understanding If there's no understanding, there's no application. Their heart was hardened. The word hardened means to grow hard or callous and to become dull, to lose the power of understanding. How many times have you been around the Word of God and the things of God and all of a sudden you just take it for granted? Yep, going to church, going to sit in my favorite chair, going to hear the Word being taught, and then when it's done, we're going to go back home. And uh, I got plans for when I go home. So that's what I'm going to think about. True. And you come to church religiously and receive nothing. Because your heart's hard. And we know the heart means the inner man, both the spirit the reasoning, the affections, and the will. And we wonder why it takes so long for the word to get in us. Because your soul is hard. It's hard ground. In fact, in, in Amplified Bible, they said it good according to the Greek. They didn't understand the teaching in fact. In fact, it's a strong adversative conjunction, in fact. In fact, their heart was hard. And it emphasized, with the manner of speech that was used, it emphasized a settled state of dullness, callousness, and lack of understanding. They settled into it. Yeah. Well, I'm okay. You know, I mean, things haven't really changed. I mean, think, I mean things are good. I mean, it's, always, it's been good for a long time. I'm good. You probably wouldn't even know if things weren't good. Of course, you've settled into less and less and less till it becomes normal, 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 normal. But it's the result of a hard heart. So he says, not only did they not meditate on the miracle, but it says... They didn't even consider it. They didn't even consider what Jesus did. Now, Jesus didn't have a walk on the water teaching. He didn't have an authority over nature teaching. He didn't say, you know, well, boys, you know, you saw the miracle over here, so now let me teach you about walking on the water. Well, let me teach you about walking in authority over nature and taking charge over the wind. But then there's another class on taking authority over storms. Then there's another class on walking in dominion. No, he didn't do any of that. You know why? Because he taught them principles. Feeding the multitude was a principle that they should have learned from in order to apply it into other avenues of life. Principles are not just for one area of life. Like the law of gravity. Gravity is a principle. It's a law and it's a principle. But gravity doesn't just apply to falling off a roof. You ever walk down the street and trip? What are you afraid of? Why? Why are you afraid of falling? Would you have to be taught about gravity when you trip? Do you have to be taught about gravity on a roof? Do you have to be taught about gravity? You know that child, we got the child on the table and they're rolling towards the edge. You have to be taught on children on a table for gravity. No, you know the principle of gravity. You know that if you're in an airplane and the engines go out, it's not a good thing. <laughs> the reason you can throw a baseball from the outfield to second base is because of gravity. The reason the quarterback could throw a football to a receiver and it comes down into his hand is because of gravity. Do you have to be taught gravity about every single thing in your life? No, because you know the principle of gravity. Well, what about the principles of the Word of God? Do you need to be taught these things about every single area of your life? Or will you meditate on the Word and get it into your life? These are principles of the Word of God that affects everything if you will apply it. But you can't apply it if you don't have revelation. And you won't have revelation if you don't meditate on it. And you certainly won't meditate on it if you walk out that door and never even consider it till the next time you come in. And what will it produce? A hard heart. Amen. It's all based on principles. Jesus taught him principles. And he would actually rebuke them. In fact, go over to Mark chapter 8. But, you know, this is the amazing thing about the feeding of the multitude. The disciples were actually involved in the feeding of the multitude. Five saltine crackers and two anchovies, and they're feeding 35,000 people, and they never run out of food. They're involved in giving out the food to the people. They're partnering in the authority of God over the nature. Authority of God over natural operation. They're involved in this. The miracle that Jesus was believing the Father for was what was multiplying in their hand. They're giving out food and the basket never gets empty. They should have learned something from that. They could have learned. I have authority. There's authority over the natural operating. There's authority over natural. things. Naturally, I got five saltine crackers and two anchovies. But supernaturally, is above the natural. So that means that there are things that operate above the natural realm. But they didn't learn that. They didn't get it. They should have understood it. They should understand that when Jesus said something, that's the way it's going to be. Well, what about us? When you obey God, that's your mission. That's your vision. That's your purpose. Walking in his purpose and obstacles arise. Resistance comes along. And you can have authority over those natural circumstances that come against the mission. See, the reason you have problems is it's not coming against the mission. It's coming against you. And you're trying to take it on a personal level instead of taking it in the mission. Do you think that when they were out fighting the Revolutionary War and they went over to take a city and and one army comes against the other and the guys go, they're shooting at me. They're against me. Oh, I don't know what to do. They're not against you. They're against the mission. You're there fighting for a mission. And it's high time we start to understand that we need to stand for the mission and the vision and the purpose. And that's where your real authority lies. It's not in the fact that they're shooting at you. It's not that the devil don't like you. It's about the mission. It's about the vision. It's about the purpose. And that's where your authority will lie. We have authority over stuff. Because they're coming against the mission, the vision. They're coming against our obedience. Because when I obey God, I have a mission. I have a purpose. I have a vision. And when that gets completed, then there's going to be something else. Here in Mark chapter 8, verse 15 through 21. Mark 8, 15 through 21. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware to them, said, when are you going to get it? Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hard heart? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? And they said, twelve. And he said, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large basketful of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Understand? Why are you discussing you didn't bring bread? Don't you know we can just make bread? Bread can appear. I'm not limited to a natural realm. There's a supernatural realm that supersedes the natural realm. And if we need bread, bread will be here. He said, do you have a hard heart? Which means... Do you have a heart that's hard like stone that nothing can get in there? Is it calloused, insensible to the touch? Even my spirit can't touch you because you're calloused. It's a spiritual sense applied to the hearts or the mind of men. It means to become unwilling to learn, not just you can't learn, you're unwilling to learn, unwilling to learn. You know what? You know what the biggest thing is that makes you unwilling to learn. I heard that before. That's an unwilling heart to learn. That tells me that you think you know everything about whatever it is, and there's, there's no more room for revelation. That's a hard heart. Unwilling to learn, unwilling to accept new information. It means to be closed-minded. It happens when you're unwilling to consider, to ponder or to meditate in any area of life. He said to them, do you not yet understand? Verse 22. Oh, okay, I'm thinking of another version. The next, the, another version, what do we in Mark? Matthew says that then they understood. He was talking about not the leaven of bread, but the teachings or the doctrines of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he had to kind of get on them. He had to make them consider. He had to make them consider the feeding of the 5,000. He had to make them consider the feeding of the 7,000. He had to make them think, what are you talking about bread for? He made them meditate. And then they realized, oh, he's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Are you with me? Principles are for application in our life. If all we do, this is very important, along with the rest that we talked about tonight. If all we do is receive from a miracle, then we will always need a miracle. You'll always be in need of a miracle if all you ever do is receive from a miracle. When we learn the principles of what God does in our life, starting in the new birth, then we will be the righteous living in faith's principles. Because the righteous are to live by faith. And faith can affect every area of our life, as well as help others through sharing the life and the truth of the Word of God that the Lord can then confirm with signs following. But what's the deal? The biggest thing is drifting from understanding. Drifting away from understanding. Drifting away from revelation. It is the only avenue available to where you can walk like Jesus. Without revelation, you cannot. Without revelation, you will try to work data and you'll be in dead works. And you'll never conform and never walk like Jesus. Never be powerful like Jesus. Never have supernatural operations and moves of God in your life like Jesus. Never being able to touch other people like Jesus. Because dead works only shares dead word. And the word kills, but the spirit gives life. Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit and life. He said the true worshipers of God will worship him in spirit and in truth. It's always about operating out from the spirit. And our spirit needs to be filled with revelation. Amen. Just bow your heads for a moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, for everyone in the room tonight, everyone that's on live stream, podcast, whether they're, they're watching this live or watching it on archive, Father, we pray for every single person. Lord, you said in your word that we should examine ourselves, consider all things and hold fast and to keep that which is good. Father, there are good things in our life. There are good things that we're doing and operating in, but then there are some things that we need to let go of. Lord, there might be things that have come along that's distracted us from pressing into understanding, distracted us and kept us away from taking hold of the things that would actually change our life, that we've got into works trying to make it happen. So Holy Spirit, we just look to you tonight as the revealer of truth and reveal to us that which we need to change, what we can hold on to and what we need to let go of. Lord, I thank you that whether we're in the room or whether we're online, that you can speak to us, that you can show us these things. Thank you for your anointing that is now moving and touching each one that is in the sound of my voice. And, Father, I thank you. Thank you, Father, that it's only by your anointing that the yokes can be broken, only by the anointing of God that that burden can be destroyed. Father, I thank you that the anointing can set us free that we can choose to walk in that anointing and take hold of the things that you'd have us to take hold of. Lord God, if we have stepped away from understanding, we repent, Father. We repent from giving ourselves to your word so that understanding would come alive inside of us so that we'd actually be able to apply your word into our life and therefore walking in the benefits of the data. Father, I just thank you that by your Holy Spirit you empower us, you strengthen us, and encourage us to press forward, to go deeper, and to move on further with you, that we can step into life and life more abundantly. We thank you for it. We bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Father. I thank you for the opportunity to sow our seed, whether it be the tithe, whether it be first fruits, whether it be almsgiving, whether, whatever it might be, Father, it's our giving that, you, that produces results in our life, not only because we give away, but we give based on what your word says. And we declare your word over our giving, Father. Your word says that there's one that gives and yet increases all the more. So as I give tonight, I declare boldly, according to your word, I am one that gives, and I am one that will increase all the more. Thank you, Lord, that you promised it, and you watch over your word to perform it. And I thank you, Father, that giving without your word, you have nothing to watch over. So we declare your word over our giving, that when we bring our first fruits in, that you will fill our bonds with plenty, and our vats will overflow with new wine, that divine blessing will be ours in abundance. Lord, I thank you for it, bless you, and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I'm sure glad that you all came tonight. I hope you're glad that you came tonight. If you're on live stream, podcast, any place online, thank you for joining us again tonight. And I do pray the word of God has touched you and actually brought an avenue for revelation to come into your life. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything we can stand in prayer with you about, please let us know. We consider it an honor to stand with our partners and believe God for your needs to be met. Amen.